belief in the immutability of truths and facts goes hand in hand with the view that change is a sign of imperfection. We've quoted the famous hymn Abide With Me often enough in these episodes to recognise that the view of a deity that is encapsulated in O Thou Who Changest Not, Abide With Me, reflects a view of what it is to be perfect that equates with changing. This, although there is no theological connection directly, is very similar to the view that we find in elements of Greek thought, particularly the Platonic forms, where we are expected to believe that there is an eternal realm in which things are what they are, are what they have always been, and what they will always be. And, of course, Christianity in particular has taken over a lot of this in its largely incoherent and underdeveloped, because it had to be underdeveloped, all the inconsistencies would have quickly become obvious, Christianity's underdeveloped notion of an afterlife and of immortality in a paradise whose perfection is identified with its unchanging, immutable and, of course, non-decaying, non-degenerating reality. I said some elements of Greek thought because it will come as no surprise to anybody that Heraclitus believed rather the opposite. That everything was flux, everything was change. The essence of existence lay in flux and change. And that we, as you might say, should just get used to the idea because nobody ever steps into the same river twice. cognate notion, which we've also touched upon, is the notion that it is incumbent upon us to be consistent. And that consistency is another example of the simul jubere semper parere principle, because it suggests that we are what we are. And whether as an essentialist who believes in some sort of human essence that is born in each of us, perhaps a soul or whatever it might be, and is therefore essentially immutable, even though the flesh being inferior, its immutability may be masked and corrupted for a while, until, as in the Neoplatonic versions of Christianity, we return 
to the eternal realm. Whether it be that, or it be an existential view that we are born unmade, unformed, but quickly assume a form in our early lives that then remains immutable. We choose who we will be, and we are that person forever, and to the extent that either of those alternatives, the essentialist or the existential, are inconsistent, to that extent they are imperfect, and in certain interpretations, such as we find in certain aspects of Christianity, sinful. So the notion of inconsistency, the notion of changeability, the notion that the absence of both is perfection, sorry about the wind, all of this goes together. And of course it was Emerson's foolish consistency that is the hobgoblin of little minds, or Walt Whitman's embracing of inconsistency in his poem of myself that we've talked about many a time before. And of course in modern scientific thinking the stability of the world arises from its changeability, not from its static nature. And a suitable analogy is that if you want to stay on a bicycle, you have to keep moving. So the, the, da- the deck, the deck of cards that we are dealt by our culture is already stacked in favour of a static view of truth, perfection, fact, long before we made our appearance in the world. I'm just going to have to stop because I think that the wind is going to make this unusable otherwise. But why not have the opposite view? Why not if we, even if we stay with a Christian, in this case German theological framework, someone like Eberhard Jungel's Gottes Sein ist im Werden, God's being is in becoming, is an attempt to say something different. It's an attempt to see dynamic change as lying at the core of everything. And I think that the pragmatists would have endorsed such a view because they would have taken the view that we are moving in our appreciation of not just truth and fact but everything and usually moving in the right direction and that one of the efforts one of the essential qualities of intellectual endeavor is to ensure that we continue to move in the right direction which is one of the reasons why intellectuals get so exercised 
by the kind of mind-numbing stupidity that embraces some forms of religious absolutism. Because, as Shestov never tires of reminding us, they turn us to stone. And once we're turned to stone, we are effectively dead, even if we're still breathing. And so you see that the flip side of the claim that civilizations would very often prefer people to live in a world of incoherent nonsense than encourage them to question it and the assumptions upon which that civilization is built. That's what happens from the side of civilization. But the flip side is that there are plenty of people who readily acquiesce in the requirement that they bury their questions, that they accept incoherent nonsense, and they do so because it confers upon them a certainty, a security, and a permanent static notion of what is true and what is fact. So you find people who spend their entire lives without ever questioning some of the truths that they were brought up to believe. And I find that tragic and worrying. And it makes me despair for the human race. Because so many of the things that we believe when we're children and which the human race believed when it was, in cultural terms, a child. So many of those are, in fact, incoherent nonsense. And so, unless we're prepared to take our advice from, for example, 1 Corinthians 13 and put away childish things, we will forever be condemned to live in a world like children, understanding nothing, surrounded by fairy stories, but reassured and comforted by the fact that they never change. And this has very serious implications that we will come back to.